Like what things should you not do if you're authentically Christian in all parts of your life, in all situations, what are things that you should always avoid? You know, you may not know this, people are actually very shocked to learn that I actually have a police record. But I love their greatest hits. Every move you make. <laughs> hey everyone, welcome to episode 158. It's so great to be with you. If you're a first time listener, I hope you enjoyed that dad joke. I do not have a record, um, except for musical records. Uh, but if you are a first time listener, please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening. It helps other people find it. The greatest thing you can do is share this with people, word of mouth or on social media. You can tag us always at Man of Food for Thought on Instagram. You can find all of our other social media handles, contact information, our content, subscribe to our newsletter, or sign up to give on our Patreon account, all on our website, manafoodforthought.com or manafft.com. And if you sign up to be a Patreon sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can become a patron and you get perks, which are, again, in the works. I know I keep saying it but it is true. So, so good to be with all of you. Let's get into our joy junk and Jesus. My joy uh, over the past week has been uh, two of our good friends got married. So congratulations to Luke and Audrey on their wedding day. And they're part of our kind of community in RCIA and the young adults here at the parish I work at. And so it was great to see other like young adults from our community there and just see a nice, beautiful Catholic wedding at our parish. And um, our parish is, is like growing the amount of weddings we're having, you know, for a long time, it was like, you know, we were doing a lot more funerals than we were doing weddings. And now we're getting more weddings and we know what to do with, which is an incredibly blessed problem to have. And so I hope that's happening in other churches, or maybe it's just something uniquely happening here, but, um, praise God either way. So that was a joy. Another joy. We got to have dinner with our best friends. And then I got to see um, Jenna and the kids again, um, later in the week, we, we went and met up at a super cool park. So that was, um, that was just super fun to spend time with them. Uh, so a shout out to community. If you don't have good community, uh, pray about who the Lord is calling you to be in relationship with because, uh, you need it. My junk is that, um, how do I say this charitably? <laughs> I'm getting increasingly frustrated with people in ministry who are constantly negative, critical, or seeking to insert themselves into situations where they are not needed or were not invited or were explicitly asked not to be, <laughs> and yet there they are. And so um, I'm just trying to pray for these individuals because I know that this is probably all coming from a hurt place, a place of pain, a place of desiring to be relevant or to be seen or to be wanted and not to just write them off. Um, but it does cause, uh, a rather consistent source of, uh, frustration in my life. So pray for me. My Jesus moments, uh, this past week, we've, I've been starting the adult confirmation process, which runs every Easter season. So for adults who have not yet been confirmed, but they have all their other sacraments, we just meet for, you know, seven weeks and just kind of dive into confirmation, the Holy Spirit, some of the, you know, the overall story of salvation history in the Catholic faith and how we play a role in that now as 
people who are confirmed and seeking to live out our faith and share and, and defend the Catholic faith out in the world. And a small group of people in adult confirmation usually is every year. Uh, we have four so far this year, but they're great. And just spending time in community with them this past week and uh, getting to know them was really wonderful. Um, but a huge Jesus moment was that uh, last night, tonight and tomorrow night, we have our parish mission. And last night, there were over 500 people at this parish mission, um, which is bigger than any event that we've ever done uh, since I've been here, as far as I know. And this parish mission has happened elsewhere locally uh, at much larger parishes, and they did not get that big of a crowd. So there's something beautiful that the Holy Spirit is doing here, and um, a lot of great feedback about um, about it last night. So that's been wonderful. So without further ado, let's get into our episode, which is always inspired by the second reading for this upcoming Sunday. Uh, this upcoming Sunday is the third Sunday of Easter, and the second reading is from the first letter of Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 17 through 21. And this is a letter from Peter to uh, be circulated in the early church uh, simply about how to be church and to deal with um, kind of general encouragement based on the persecutions that people were facing. Uh, and also how, in this particular section, how are we meant to behave and act as Christians um, in our relationships with to one another and to God and um, how we are meant to be visible in the world, even though this was written at a time where being visible to the world meant you were likely going to be persecuted and killed for your faith. And so uh, keep that in mind as we read this. So this is Peter writing to the early church. He says, Beloved, if you invoke as father him who judges impartially according to each one's works, conduct yourselves with reverence during the time of your sojourning, realizing that you were ransomed from your feudal conduct handed on by your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a spotless, unblemished lamb. He was known before the foundation of the world, but revealed in the final time for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it's interesting. Peter's encouraging these people who in the midst of their sojourning, which means like they're journeying, they're wandering, it's, it's an analogy for the fact that we are simply on this earth in a temporary state, but also they're kind of wandering through this um, desert of temptation, not so much as the Israelites did in the Old Testament, but living out in secular society where they're basically walking through a proverbial minefield on a daily basis because if the wrong person finds out about their Christian faith, it could lead to their death. And so Peter is trying to remind them that no matter what, like remember why you have this faith that you do, like that Jesus was, even though he did nothing wrong, he was a spotless and blemished lamb, he was sacrificed for you, and it's only because of him that you have faith in the first place. And so the, the key verse here, the key phrase here that really stood out to me this week that I really want to lean into and, and hopefully uh, encourage us in some, some faithful Christian practices from is the phrase, conduct yourselves with reverence. Conduct yourselves with reverence. And it reminded me, first of all, that like we're in the midst of the Easter season and we're an Easter people, our song is Alleluia. We are meant to be living our lives with joy, to be conducting ourselves in a way where people know that there's something different about us, that we operate as though we have hope, that that's the kind of people that we should be. 
But then it got me reflecting on like, well, as Christians, you know, Peter here is saying, conduct yourselves with reverence, like behave in a certain and specific way because you are a Christian. And it made me think of like, well, as Christians, what kind of people are we called to be? And there's so many things you could point to, you know, the 613 laws in the Old Testament, you know, uh, a very first and foremost of which are the Ten Commandments, all these different practices, letters and encouragements in the New Testament, some of which are for all of us, some of which were specific to issues going on in the early church, but can still be relevant for us today. And so thinking about what's helpful and what we should do was kind of an overwhelming thing. So I started thinking about what is not helpful, like what things should you not do? If you're authentically Christian in all parts of your life, in all situations, what are things that you should always avoid? What are things that you should, that should just not be a part of your life if you are living an authentic Christian life? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should be perfect and that we have to put on this air of sainthood, even though we're broken sinners. But I think there are certain behaviors we have to be really aware of because of how detracting they can be toward the good news. Because if people find out that we're Christian and we have some of these behaviors, it's going to be very confusing for them. They're either going to think that it's okay to do some of these things and we're going to be causing scandal, or it's going to be to the discredit of the good news because they're going to not listen because they don't see us actually living it out. And so, you know, it's easy to be Christian in comfortable moments, you know, and, and they see this when you're, you're dating someone and you want to know like who they really are. And I think this is also true. If you want to know if you're really a Christian, <laughs> it's not just in the easy moments or when you're at church, you know, knowing who someone really is, if someone really is authentically a Christian and embodies Christian values in all that they do, here's what you need to look at. You need to look at how do you act when you treat waiters and cashiers when you're on hold on the phone, when you're waiting in line, when you're stuck in traffic. And as I always say, look at your calendar, look at your checkbook, and maybe even look at your channel or streaming history, look at your conversations, the last conversations you had. Is the content of all of those things in conformity with the values and the morals of Christianity? Is your behavior in those situations that can often be very frustrating when you are dealing with waiters or cashiers, especially when your order's wrong, or especially when the food's taking a little bit too long. When you're on hold, when you're waiting in line, when you're frustrated, when you're stuck in traffic, are you embodying Christian values then? That's when the real test happens. That's when the real test happens. And so, yes, first and foremost, like we need to avoid sin as Christians. And we do that by practicing virtue, by praying, by having daily prayer, by encountering God in scripture, by frequenting the sacraments, of course. But as I started thinking about this, I started making a list of these things that I felt were, were unhelpful. And it ended up being <clears throat> uh, 10 things, 10 kind of categories. And they all start with the letter S. At least they started to, and I kind of kept on that, that train because, I don't know, it just reminded me like that if we're really embodied by the Holy Spirit as disciples of Jesus— the Holy Spirit really is like the, the breath that animates us. It's our air. It's our spiritual oxygen. And what happens when you let the air out of something? It makes that sound. So imagine that sound as all of these 10 S's as practices that can let the air, the Holy Spirit out of your life. Practices that should not be a part of the Christian disciple's life. Okay. And so these are in no particular order. 
and there are more categories of things. And I have a scripture kind of to encourage you in each one. And so maybe as you listen to this, it might be pinpointing the one or two that you really feel like, oh yeah, that's hitting hard for me. That's one I really struggle with. And it might be an encouragement for you to lean into this scripture, maybe to pray it over yourself or use it as a repeated mantra throughout your day, especially in the moments when you're tempted in these different areas. Hey, so here are the 10 S's, the 10 things to avoid and be aware of if you're seeking to live an authentic Christian life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the first S is sex. Now, this doesn't mean you avoid sex altogether if you are part uh, if you are in a faithful Christian marriage and you're married sacramentally, obviously sex is a beautiful thing that God created and has a divine purpose. It is inherently good and beautiful. But the the problem is when a Christian who's saying that their disciple lives in a way that is sexually immoral, that can be one of the hugest causes of scandal and confusion for other people. If you're a Christian and you're living with your significant other before you're married, if you have an addiction to pornography or, from, or to masturbation, if you're, you know, uh, dating flippantly and not caring about people's feelings, if you are, you know, um, you know, there are certain people in the young adult community locally that are known for having a reputation for just being that person who wants to date people. And that's why they show up to stuff. And it doesn't bode well for their image as a disciple of Jesus, and it doesn't bode well for the good news of Jesus Christ when they proclaim it, because everyone is also thinking about this behavior that they have, and wondering if it's, if it's nefarious, not nefarious, but if it's, um, if all of this is just a show for what they really want. And that's unfortunate, because these people obviously have great gifts and a faith and a desire for the Lord, but that's being overshadowed by this category of uh, behaviors. And so, you know, uh, sexual immorality, lust, these things, um, you know, can be met with the practices of self-control, fasting, saying no. And it reminds me of the scripture from 2 Timothy 1.7, where uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of love, of, sorry, rather of power and love and self-control. That a lot of times in our world, People conflate power with sex, like dominance and, you know, pursuing people and kind of the art of the um, the closing the deal and all of that applied to uh, dating. And, you know, all of that was maybe big even like 10 years ago when it was all about the art of the chase and, and stuff like that. And all these videos and trainings and workshops about how to, you know, get all these numbers or whatever it might be. But power really is, true power is recognizing your ability to love and your ability to say no. Because if you can't say no, then your yes means nothing. And that's the problem with this area of sexual immorality is because you're saying yes to everything and you're not perfecting it for what it was intended. And it makes everything shallow. It makes everything um, about use and about pleasure and not about living for something higher. And that's really what the Christian walk is. So the first S is sex, specifically in the area of sexual immorality. Number two, speech. And I was thinking particularly of uh, a few things that really kind of drive me nuts uh, that I hear a lot of Christians do, and that's sarcasm, cursing, and gossip. And, and I will say I, I can tend toward a little gossip myself, and I try and be very conscious of that and speaking charitably and always 
speaking with understanding about people who frustrate me as I tried to do when I was sharing my junk earlier in this episode. Uh, and so the gossip I'm talking about that frustrates me is like when it's just so clear, like, you know, all I can characterize it as is like the nail salon goss that like, I remember as a kid when my mom would take me with her to go get her nails done, all the business that was being shared about everybody, like everybody like unapologetically needing to know everyone else's business and then making judgments about them, having no knowledge of them whatsoever. I think the component of fraternal correction and saying, hey, you know, did you notice so-and-so was doing this or acting this way? Like, I don't think this is good. Like, what should we do about this? You know, if it's done in charity, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Okay. This is sarcasm, cursing, and gossip, all things that are negative detracting about other people. The problem with this is when other people hear us speaking this way, they don't hear the positivity, the Easter joy, the charity, the love that we are meant to have for one another. The word sarcasm, sarcasm, like when you break it down, sark, uh, it means flesh and chasm to tear or to rip. So it literally means to tear the flesh of another person. And I know some people like joke that sarcasm is like their love language. I just don't think it comes off ever as funny as the people who make it. You know, I think even if people laugh at it, I think anyone to whom sarcasm is directed would admit if they're being wholeheartedly honest and vulnerable that it does tear at them a little bit. You know, it doesn't, it's not fun being the butt of the joke. And if you're a Christian doing that to other people, you're not building other people up and loving them authentically. Cursing, using your speech for things that are you know, inappropriate or crass, making crass jokes, making jokes about religion, about sex, about relationships, about race. Um, these are things that are, that should be completely like antithetical to the vocabulary of a Christian. Even if you think you're joking, simply putting that out there into the world and building up a consistent practice in your own life of saying those things out loud, even if you think you're joking, are going to compel you to do them more frequently. And then gossip, you know, focusing on the negative, you know, components of other people is just, it's never something that is going to lead to real Christian charity. And so I think the practices that we need to have instead are things like listening, affirmation, encouragement. You know, how often do we hear people actually going out of their way to affirm other people's gifts and encourage them? Most often we hear people criticizing because deep down they feel like they should have been the one in the spotlight. Or why aren't people paying attention to me? Why don't, aren't people appreciating my gifts? Why was that person given that chance? And for the Christian, we recognize that God has given gifts to all. And we shouldn't use our speech to detract from other people, to tear them down, or to not bring goodness and beauty into the world. There's this rabbinical tale of a woman who comes to a rabbi. I think I've shared this before and says, uh, um, Rabbi, how do I uh, make amends for these hurtful things that I have said toward this other person? And so he tells her to go take a pillow and rip it open and allow the feathers to blow off into the wind. And so she does that. And she says, okay, now what do I do? And he says, now go collect all the feathers and put the pillow back together. And the woman says, Rabbi, that's impossible. They're all gone. And he says, it's just as impossible to take back the words that you put out into the world, uh, especially those that, that cut to the heart, those that hurt. And so we don't recognize the negative ripple effect that our words can have or how uh, seriously people can take the things that we say, even if we think we're joking. In Proverbs 15, it says, A mild answer turns back wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue 
of the wise pours out knowledge, but the mouth of few of, of fools spews folly. Being mild in speech and cognizant of other people's feelings uh, is important for those who are on the Christian walk. So, thirdly, self. Uh, selfishness and pride. Obviously, this is, you know, pride is considered the capital of all sins. And if this is something you struggle with, really leaning into the practices of generosity and service, and also people to keep you accountability, to keep you accountable in your sins. People who are, are really struggling with, with pride, they, uh, they isolate and they keep everything inside. They don't want to be seen as weak. And so if you can confide in other people and help, help them, allow them to help you be accountable, that can really help with your sense of being puffed up or better than others because we're all broken sinners. Philippians 2, verses 3 to 4, Do nothing out of selfishness or out of vainglory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important than yourselves, each looking out not for his own interests, but also everyone for those of others. How often are you thinking of others before yourself? Fourth is stuff. This has to do with gluttony, with greed, the things that you consume, materialism. For Christians, if we are really concerned with having all of the, the, the techie gadgets, doing all of the experiences, blowing all our money on all of these things, when there are people who are really struggling in the world, that's going to have a very negative uh, impact on how other people view Christianity and view us in representing Christianity. And so maybe you're being called to practices of minimalism or restraint or hospitality, using the resources, the money that you've been given, not just to spend on yourself and your own experiences, but to extend hospitality to others, to invite them into your home or to help them in times of need. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, there's, there's a section of verses starting in verse 6 um, where Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Indeed, Religion with contentment is a great gain, for we brought nothing into the world just as we shall not be able to take anything out of it. If we have food and clothing, we shall be content with that. Those who want to be rich are falling into temptation and into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all evils, and some people and their desire for it have strayed from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. Now, notice it says the love of money is the root of all evils. Money is not evil. Money is a tool, a tool and a gift that God has given us so that we can bless others and be provided for. But that doesn't mean we're meant to use it all on ourselves. And when people see Christians doing that, especially professing a faith that is meant to prioritize the preferential option for the poor and serving the needs of the poor and those who are ostracized, those who are marginalized, and instead being more concerned for ourselves, then that obviously is not going to bode well for people's view of Christianity. Next is sloth. Uh, things like siloing yourself, laziness, being isolated, being quiet and hiding your faith, not just being lazy in the responsibilities that you've been given, but also being lazy in sharing the faith. These are things that when people find out you're a Christian and you're just kind of like dragging your knuckles on the floor and you're not, you know, um, uh, amounting to anything really in terms of what God has blessed you with or the opportunities he's given you, the responsibilities he's called you to. You know, the if you look at the lives of the saints, they are all incredibly dynamic people. No matter how extravagant they lived, what time they lived in, whether they never traveled far from home or there were missionaries all around the world, whether they were very quiet and introverted and didn't do anything that miraculous, 
or they were outworking all of these signs or having supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit like Padre Pio, no matter what, they all have these dynamic, attractive lives. And that's because they didn't allow themselves to become siloed in their faith and keep it in. They were faithful to the responsibilities that they were given. And so maybe for you, this means you need to actually be more responsible and reliable. Be more organized in, in your life and in your faith. Actually have disciplines or creating a rule of life for yourself that allows you to be consistent in prayer and to share that prayer and that faith with other people. To create community around yourself because no one can have faith alone. The Catechism says that in paragraph 166. Faith is not an isolated act. No one can have faith alone just as no one can live alone. Okay, so if you're trying to do this by yourself, you're doing it wrong. You can't out-disciple Jesus, and Jesus did this in community. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. None of those statements strike me as someone who is being lazy or irresponsible. That we must be on our guard against the things that cause us to isolate, to procrastinate, to put off good uh, the good that can be done today for tomorrow, um, stand firm in our faith, as Scripture says. Next is your smartphone. The smart Again, smartphones are like, a, they're not evil. They're like money. They're a tool. They can be used for good, but increasingly, and you could, apply, you could just say screens in general. In fact, yeah, let's just say this is screens. In general, screens prevent us from being present to people. You know, sometimes we think, oh, we're watching the game together, so we're obviously in community, and that's great. No, we're focusing on something outside of the reality of what's really going on in our lives. And so unless that's compelling us into deeper vulnerability and relationship with one another and actively sharing what's going on in our lives, it's preventing us from being more present to people. If you have your phone out or on your table when you're out with friends or when you're at the dinner table at home, you know, I get if there's an extenuating circumstance, there's an emergency or whatever, but for the most part, then you are not being truly present. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. But if you're not gathered in the name of Jesus, if you're gathered in the name of yourself and all you're concerned with what's going on outside of the place that you're in, you're preventing Jesus from being present there. Because you are not gathering in his name. You are not being present to the reality that he is there and desires a specific purpose for that gathering, for that person that you are with, or those people you are with. Next is speeding. And I would apply this to both in life and while you're driving a car. <laughs> you know, speeding behind the wheel of a car is just reckless. You're, you're increasing the likelihood that you are going to risk not only your life that you've been given as a gift by God, but also the lives of other people. But also in general, just being in a hurry, not being, again, disciplined, organized on top of your responsibilities. And I'm saying this as someone who is a parent of two young kids who has a job, my wife has a full-time job, we're balancing all these different things. And so life can feel very rushed, but there is a way to make sure that we are going through life in a way that is characterized by trusting God and by patience. That if the day has gone away from me because of my children or things that come up unexpectedly, I don't need to then speed through the rest of my day in a hurry, trying to get where I need to go. I need to accept the reality that this is where God is calling me to be present. And 99% of the time, people will understand. Like, they'll be, oh, I get it. You know, life happens. No big deal. But if this is something you do consistently, pray for the virtue of patience. 
the ability to be present to the circumstances of the day and not feel like you have to latch on and grab hold back of your day and rush to get everything done. Maybe God has different plans for your day. Maybe he just wants to be with you. Maybe he wants you to be present to that person who is making this take longer or derailing your plan for the day. Exodus 14, 14, a verse I love, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to keep still. Oftentimes we don't experience the voice or the presence of God and we feel that he's distant because we are running so fast everywhere else we're not allowing ourselves to listen or be present to him. So, speeding. Next is snub. I know that's an interesting word. And now that I'm thinking about it, there might be 11 of these. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No, we're on eight. Okay, yeah, there's 10. So number eight is snub. And this is, you know, the sins of envy or anger, if we are holding a grudge against someone, holding on to unforgiveness, we are deliberately excluding people. We are snubbing them. You know, we're we're the people that uh, are are causing them to maybe not feel accepted, loved, feel community, uh, or we are allowing division and barriers to continue in our life because we are not willing to be the one who forgives. We're not willing to be the one who reaches out. Listen, listen to me when I tell you this. You are not the main character in the story of history. And so a lot of people will operate with this idea that like there's some kind of injustice going on in their friendships. Like, oh, that person never reaches out to me. Well, who cares? Don't expect to be the one who everyone comes to. Maybe your gift is that you have an attention to other people and that's how your friendships can be cultivated by you reaching out to them when you have the energy. And maybe you have different love languages and maybe you're not communicating how other people can be a good friend to you and you're not asking how you can be a good friend to other people. But that doesn't give us an excuse to hold on to grudges, to refuse to reach out to people or to hold on to unforgiveness because we perceive that we've been hurt when someone may have no idea that that's what we've, we've, we're experiencing because we fail to communicate and instead we get envious, we get angry, we get bitter and resentful. And we hold those things in us so we become cynical and negative and we become more isolated from writing people off and snubbing them and making them feel like we don't have time for them. Then we're going to be characterized as like, oh, those Christians are like that person in my life who just didn't have time for me or got really mad at me because I couldn't prioritize them in my life more. You know, that doesn't sound charitable. The idea of being Christian is being sacrificial. Like we shouldn't be going through life thinking about what we're going to get or how people are going to reciprocate the time and energy that we put into them. To love is to will the good of the other, period, full stop. To will the good of the other. It's not to will the good of the other, comma, and hopefully get even more back in return. No, that's not what love means. That's not what love means. To will the good of the other. Look at the example of Jesus Christ on the cross. He didn't wait to die until all of the apostles came back and apologized so he could say, told you so. No, he just died for them. And he died for all of us, including people who will spend their entire life rebuking his name, refusing to believe that he exists, or trying to get other people to renounce him. He died for them too. And we are meant to echo that example. Number nine is shade. You may have heard this, like throwing shade at other people or just being shady in general. I use this to characterize people who are whining and complaining. You know, if we always have something negative to say, you're throwing shade at someone, being critical. This kind of has also has to do with speech. But I, I don't know. I've never met a, uh, a Christian who has authentic joy 
who is constantly whining and complaining. In fact, the thing that I've noticed that really is profound to people is when they claim like so-and-so's faith, despite everything that they've been through, all of the medical things, all of the things that life threw at them, they never once complained. That's something I've heard actually in the past week, a handful of times, describing people who others looked up to in the faith. So maybe this is something you really struggle with. Maybe you really tend to complain and whine and see the negative in a lot of situations. Maybe you need to just take on the practice of smiling and laughing, letting go, being more joyful, focusing on the things that you're grateful for. You know, having a consistent daily practice of gratitude, maybe like the examine or just a gratitude journal, writing three things down that you are, are grateful for, noticing those little moments of God in your day. In Philippians 2.14, it says, Do everything without grumbling or questioning. Let me say that again. Do everything without grumbling or questioning. Does that describe you and your Christian life? Because the more we whine and complain, the more we are going to seem like negative Nancys who have no joy, and people are going to look at us and say, well, that Christianity thing doesn't really seem like it's working out for them, so why would I try it? I'm happy and fine on my own. If Christians are less happy than the average secular person, we have a humongous problem. And so we need to be very aware of this. And lastly is sport. These are the things that you do for entertainment, the content you consume, the things you do to spend your free time. If you are listening to garbage music, watching garbage TV and movies, trashy, raunchy things, and you're quoting them, people tend to like quoting them, singing those songs, repeating them, having them on in their cars, sharing those with TV shows and movies, or recommending them to other people. Then people are going to see you doing those things and consuming those things and wonder, is this in line with Christianity? Is this okay to do? You know, I'm confused about what this person believes or what Christianity is about. And again, we can cause scandal. And so this might mean that we need to consume less. We need to fast from those things. We need to try and consume wholesome, better content that's uplifting. Maybe instead of being on screens or having earbuds or music in all the time, playing all of the time, we do things like spiritual reading or contemplative prayer. Uh, in Psalm 101, verse 3, it says, I do not allow into my presence anything base. I hate wrongdoing. I will have no part of it. Think about that first line. I do not allow into my presence anything base. I mean, I'm imagining like in each of our lives, like if you put up this like huge security system around your life and you're just saying like nothing is getting into, you know, past the boundaries of my life that is base, that is immoral, that is raunchy or crude. I don't care if it's, you know, how good the music is to other people, how popular the TV show is or the movie is. I'm willing to miss out on that so that I don't miss out on the virtues that God has in store for me and the path toward heaven that I am on. All of these things, these temptations, sex, speech, self, stuff, sloth, screens, speeding, snub, shade, sport, all of these things are categories of behaviors, practices, things that are prevalent in our world and in society that if we have any of them or any combination of them as Christians, we are increasing the likelihood that we're going to cause scandal, that we're going to detract from the faith, and that we're not going to be able to adequately evangelize others because they're going to see these things and say, 
yeah, you believe this, but then why are you living in this way? And we are going to be just like the Pharisees who know the law and preach it, but they do not practice it. And as Jesus says, they are like whitewashed tombs. They are dead in, on the inside. Even though they look clean and pristine on the outside, they're dead on the inside because they do not actually practice what they preach. And I say all this as a brother in Christ who struggles in many of these categories, but who recognizes that is something that is not meant to be part of my Christian life. My Christian life actually compels me to turn away from those things. But if you're living in such a way where this has just become integrated into who you are and you think it's okay, I want to tell you as your brother in Christ lovingly to reflect prayerfully on, is this bringing actual good fruit to your life? If other people saw this or knew this, would they be more inclined to be Christian or less inclined? Or is this an obstacle for you into becoming the saint that God has called you to be, into being even more deeply in relationship with Jesus? Is this holding you back? And so I want to encourage you to think about these 10 S's and maybe think about one particular one that is really prevalent for you right now. Maybe the Lord really spoke to you during that particular one. To go back to that scripture, to repeat it, to pray it over yourself each day, to think about the virtues or the corresponding things that I recommended for each one of these that you can practice instead so that you can live a life that is more for others. And again, we're not doing this so we can appear super holy to other people. I got to get rid of all these bad practices because I'll just be a bad Christian and people aren't going to like Christianity. And because, you know, we're really concerned about what people think, I can't do these things. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is that if you authentically love the Lord, it will change you. And it should change you, and it should change you from these 10 practices to something that's more in conformity with the life of Christ. It's as I often say, you do not change in, in order, you do not need to change in order for God to love you, but God's love will change you. You do not need to change in order for God to love you, but God's love will change you. God loves you now uniquely as you are, even if you struggle in all 10 of these areas. He loves you, you are his child, he is profoundly proud of you and desiring to be in deeper relationship with you. And when you receive that and know that and desire to really walk the Christian life and be a disciple, you will also begin to see the need to change, the need to be in more in conformity with his life and his will for your life. And that will only lead to your flourishing and your abundance. And you'll start to notice a lot of the sufferings, frustrations, negativity, and destructive behaviors or events in your life will start to go away. It doesn't mean everything will be easy. There will be new struggles because being the Christian life is very uh, anti-cultural, anti-society at this time. You know, it's not the cool thing to do. It's very antithetical to what the world wants or recommends us believe. But it will ultimately lead to your joy and your flourishing. And other people will see that and it will connect to that same desire that we all share for something greater. And so if you're still longing for that, which of these areas is causing an obstacle in your life for you to really experience the beauty of the life that God has in store for you? That's all I have for you. I know it was a little bit of a longer episode, but I hope it was a benefit to you. And until next time, I will see you in the Eucharist. God bless you and happy Easter. Mm-hmm.